Well, good morning to everyone in Jesus' name. Well, this morning we have a topic entitled, Becoming a Servant. That sound like an exciting topic? Well, it should be exciting to the Christian. Not particularly exciting to the flesh, perhaps, but exciting to the Christian. This morning at our house for devotions, I read the passage in Revelation 22 uh, concerning the throne of God and that river of life that flows out and the glorious things there, but there's a phrase there, and his servants shall serve him. I want to be one of those. His servants shall serve him. Becoming a servant. The pulpit commentary had these thoughts on this topic. There was nothing more characteristic in the teaching of Jesus, perhaps we may even say nothing more novel in his teaching, than his reversion of the common notions of service. All the world over and all the ages through, the ordinary man has seen dignity in being served and has seen a kind of indignity in serving. So this is something very common to man, and Jesus even um, used that as in a teachable moment. We're going to look at some of those, but just know this is something common to man. And I was really struck yesterday in the uh, teaching on relationships is how much the two go together. You see, there is a relationship being formed between someone who is serving and one who is being served. And we say a lot by which position we choose to take, especially in the matter of relationships. The scriptures command those who serve. That's why it's precious to the believer. Romans 16, 1 and 2, Paul says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Sancria, that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succorer of many, and of myself also. A succorer. It's not a word we use so much, but it's one who is a helper who who gives in a time of need. 1 Corinthians 16, 15. I beseech you, brethren, ye know the house of Stephanus, that it is the firstfruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. A good addiction there, I would say. Acts 9, 36. Now there was a Joppa, a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas, this woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And you find later in that account, when Peter came 
the widows stood around him weeping and showing him the garments which she had made for these uh, widows who were needy. And God worked a miracle there and brought her back to life. And I had to think, by contrast, the Apostle Peter wasn't raised back to life. None of the apostles were raised back to life. But here this woman, who was a servant of the widows, was raised back to life. Amazing. Well, let's turn to uh, our first portion of Scripture in Matthew chapter 20. And we'll begin at verse 20 and go through 28. out of this passage at the very end, in verse 27, he says, let him be your servant, and that's kind of our key verse here, but there is an account here that uh, gives context to that verse, and we're going to study that. Matthew 20, verse 20, then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, this is a very interesting passage. Jesus takes uh, these moments to teach them some great things about the kingdom. Things that were different than they had expected. Now, this is toward the end of his ministry... And the disciples had been commissioned to go out and to preach and to teach, to cast out devils, to heal the sick. And, and the, the uh, 
infirm. And they had gone out and done many, many good things, tremendous works, and they were useful in the kingdom. And they were used to working. I mean, they saw this as work, I believe. It certainly wasn't easy to just travel about from city to city, not taking anything with you and and just uh, staying at other people's houses, and there was a lot of work. Um, But here, they come, and now they, I think, understand that the kingdom is about to come in a way that it hadn't been up to this point. I don't think they understood it quite clearly yet, but here come two of the disciples with their mother, and they had a request. Okay, Lord, I have a request. And he said, so what would you like? And she said, could you grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on the right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom? Now, Let's understand a little bit. This would be similar to asking for the position of the vice presidency. Now that is a position of service, isn't it? And we say yes. I mean, it's not the top position. They weren't looking for the top position. They were looking to be helpful. You know how these things kind of work in our mind. Because... As we tend to think, there's positions of importance and then there's positions of lesser importance. So, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor and, and an elder in the church and that is a, yes, a position. And it gives a bit of authority and it requires at times to give instructions to people to, to uh, encourage them to do this or do that or maybe not do this. And, and it is viewed as a position of responsibility and, and even some authority according to the scripture. I don't think that's, it's wrong to recognize that that does exist. But sometimes in our minds we react a bit. We we want to do our own thing. Now, that's kind of the flesh. And we have this perception that in spite of, of how other men have messed up in this position of responsibility and authority, if I were to get to that position, I would do it better. I have a, I have a, a good sense of what it should be. Now... Perhaps you do, that's fine. But the scripture makes it very clear that if a man desires the position, or it says, um, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. <laughs> you note that word, work. If we remember that part of it, it will serve us well. You see, it's not a position to be grasped for, but it is a place of service. And I believe it would be true to say that most, probably all of you, 
but certainly most of you will come to some position and responsibility in life. As you mature, you get married, um, you come to places of responsibility, which also carries with it some authority. So you need to understand very clearly what God's principles are and to find your place rightly in his work. Becoming a servant, that's our title, it is something that we learn and grow in. It's said that it's easier to teach a servant how to lead than it is to teach a leader how to serve. So let's get this first and get it right, that we are servants. I would like for this to be a message that inspires you, not that you should feel condemnation, because I know that that you have learned how to be servants. That is, there's no doubt in my mind that you are well on your way to learning those things and have even shown an example many times. It's not something that... Um, that only the old people can do. It's something that you can do. And I trust and know that many of you have exercised yourself in that. But now looking at what Jesus did here using this moment. One can imagine they probably did have, these two sons, they did have a sense that they wanted to serve. But I think they also wanted a bit of a position of honor. And so Jesus turns this around a bit and he says, you know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Now, before we look at their answer, let's consider the question here. We know when we read in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus um, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And that may be a little bit of a, a difficult phrase to understand, but what he's simply saying is that it was not, in, in Christ's mind, it was not a position to be grasped for. It was not the honor at that time that he was seeking. He came to be a servant. So he was not looking at that position to be grasped at, but it says he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. But in that he humbled himself, God hath also highly exalted him, and giving him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess. So there is a process there that you humble yourself, and God will give you the honor in his time. So Jesus had a cup to drink, and he was baptized with a baptism, and he's asking them, can they do it? And they said, 
We are able. But we know from our perspective here that at that time when they said those words, they probably didn't understand yet what that might mean. Because they didn't yet understand exactly what the cup of Jesus, what he was going to drink. They didn't understand that whole process. Well, Jesus goes on to say, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. And we know that in time they did learn and found out that it is going to require persecution and even death. But he says, To sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. And then, says, when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. Now, let me ask you, did they, the ten, did they have a good attitude? Not really. In fact, Jesus used that moment then to instruct them further. He said, you know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them, but it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Now he uses two different words here, minister and servant. The first one The word minister there is the one we would, uh, I believe, get the word deacon, one who serves, the one who waits on the tables. And a very clear picture would be someone who serves tables. You go to a restaurant, you have a waiter who serves you. The next use there of servant has the idea of a slave. So Jesus repeats himself, and he uses these two different terms. First, let him be your minister, one who serves like a waiter. But further, the one who is chief among you, let him be your slave. Wow. And then he says, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Well, there Jesus spoke of one of his great uh, principles of life. He didn't come to this life to be served, but he came to minister and to give his life. And we should follow in his steps. Now, there is a parallel passage, uh, perhaps at a bit different occasion, and that's in Luke 22. Let's turn over to that passage.
Verse 24, Luke 22, 24, And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. And he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so, but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. For whether is greater... He that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. Ye are they which are, I'm sorry, ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. And I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now here we have just a slightly different or some variations to this same topic, and I believe perhaps at a different occasion. And on this occasion there was strife among them. And it sounds like it must have been all of them discussing who should be the greatest. You see, in the first account, it was the two brothers that came and wanted this position, and then the ten had indignation. Well, I think there was a bit of a problem there, because in this account, they're all arguing about who should be the greatest. So I suspect they still had some of that same thought uh, in the earlier occasion, and their indignation was actually a betrayal of some of their own thinking. might be good for us to check our spirit sometimes and our indignation at someone we see as striving for a position. Mm. Oh, ah, that's bad. You know, we, we can see that pretty clearly. Why does it distress us so? Can we still be gracious and uh, show a good spirit toward them even when we see them striving for position? But in this account, he, he, gives a, he says something interesting. He says that among the Gentiles, they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. Now, benefactors is actually a good thing. It's, uh, a benefactor is a philanthropist, one who serves the people. He uses his positions and his monies to, to do good things. A philanthropist may build a hospital or he may put all his monies to a public library or some other great, uh, maybe a big park or something. He does public works that are beneficial. Not, not a bad thing, but they that are um, exercise lordship and authority are called benefactors. However, there's a bit of a problem with this. Usually there's an idea of an exalted position here, a benefactor. I have a position, I have means, I will do something good for the people. But many times that becomes overbearing. And you think of the Gentiles and exercising lordship, many times that eventually comes to the concept that I know better than you. I know what you need, 
and I will, I will do what is good for you. You know, there's that sense of a exaltation. Uh, it could get so bad, I suppose. I believe it was uh, former President Ronald Reagan was uh, quoted one point to have said that the scariest words in the English language would be if someone's at your door and say, I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. But you see, that is the concept of, of, of authority. I will, I will help you. But it shouldn't be so in the church of God. That's not how God's kingdom is built. We're here with the attitude of a servant. Now Jesus used the question here, whether it's greater... He that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth. And that quote I gave earlier from the commentary just makes note that through all ages and across the world, it's commonly recognized that the one who sits at meat and is being served is the greater. It's the position of honor. And the one who serves is considered less honorable and, in a sense, and at times dishonorable in that uh, it just has no prestige. It has no... uh, you, you, You serve, you are the lesser. Jesus said, I am among you as he that serveth. So... Which position do you want to take? When you come into a situation, do you seek for the position of the server or the position of the served? It may get so practical as the topic yesterday on relationships. I know in our, at least in our study group, we, we talked about uh, conversation. You know, you, uh, who... Who starts a conversation? Who goes to who? And I thought, you know, this fits right in here. If you, if you come into a situation, you walk into the room, and, and it's a question of who starts the conversation. Well, ask yourself, do you see yourself as the servant or the one who is being served? And let that be a guide. If you want to be the servant, maybe you go up and ask them, you know, you initiate the conversation and say, how are you doing? Now, I'll make a note here also out of this text, and, and I think it's also important for us to understand. It's maybe a little side topic, but that is the relationship between God's kingdom now and his kingdom future. Notice here he says, I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father hath appointed unto me. And then he gives this promise. He says, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Now think back to what Jesus asked earlier. Which is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth? And here he is saying, 
ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And when Jesus here explained to them about the kingdom, he made a clear distinction on how things are in the kingdom now versus how they will be in the kingdom future. And this actually applies to a lot of things in the scripture and, and must be understood because there is a kingdom now and there is a kingdom future. And there are some things that are very parallel and the same in both and there are some things that are very different in both. And we need to understand the scriptures and be able to distinguish between those two. What is now and what is future. And this topic here this morning about serving or being served is central to that. In the kingdom now, we live like Jesus did. And when he came and lived among men and brought the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is come unto you. He was among them as one that serveth. He didn't take a throne and sit and rule. He came as a servant. He came to give his life. He came to just humble himself. He came to do the will of his father and not his own will. He was among them as one who served. After the kingdom now, in the kingdom future, he will sit on the throne and every knee will bow and every tongue confess. He will come in glory and in power. He will take unto him all the kingdoms of the world. They'll be given unto him. He will reign and rule. That's the kingdom future. And he promised us a part of that. We can enter his kingdom now. Not just in the future, we enter it now. And we are in his kingdom, but we are among the people as those who serve. We are not seeking for positions and honors. That's kingdom future. The promise here to the disciples, you may eat and drink at my table, in my kingdom, in my kingdom future. Then we will sit and be served, but not now. Today, we serve. Sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. That's future. Today, we serve. You may have heard of the term um, oh sorry it slipped my mind dominion now dominion theology dominion the concept that we as Christians should take dominion over the earth I believe at the heart of that is a fundamental misunderstanding of these principles of the kingdom the kingdom now is that kingdom where we serve and we lay down our lives one for another. It's not a striving for positions, a striving for recognitions and honors. Those are in the kingdom future.
Well, let's consider how this works. We're persuaded that we need to be servants. So how does that work? Well, the first point I'd like to make is that becoming a servant begins in the mind. In service, there is a lot of doing. There is a, and we could spend all our time talking about things you could do. And truly, that's, that's the heart of, of being a servant, is a lot of doing, doing, doing. But to be a servant must begin in the mind, and it's more a matter of being than of doing. You can do a lot of things, but if you have the attitude of a benefactor, it's not going to work so well. The idea that I'm up here, this is my position, and I'm here to help you. That condescending kind of uh, attitude. But a servant is one who comes along and is willing to do the menial things, the things that don't... uh, don't have credit and honor and, and all of those things, but simply doing what is necessary. Becoming a servant begins in the mind. And that's clear from the scripture. I'll quote a few here. Philippians 2, 5 through 7. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And again in 1 Peter 4, 1, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. Paul's testimony in Acts chapter 20, verse 19, he says, Serving the Lord with all humility of mind. And with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, it doesn't use the term service there, or servant, but the concept is there, clearly. If we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, it means... We are turning ourselves over to God's use. That's the idea of a sacrifice, is a surrender of what I have or what I am, and I lay it on the altar for God to use. And it's not a a dead sacrifice, as as we might think of the Old Testament, uh, animals being slain there, but it's a living sacrifice, which means I still... Function and do those things that are under his service. But it all begins in the mind. Are you willing to get on that altar of sacrifice to render your body, uh, your life, to the service of God? Don't yield your members as servants to sin, but servants to righteousness. It's a whole package there of turning our life over, but it begins in the mind. We need to take on this mind. And 
it's really probably the most important point in this whole topic is simply that it begins with the mind. In other words, we take on a frame of mind. We, that's maybe an older term, a frame of mind. We, we like uh, the term attitude. We use that a lot more. An attitude. An attitude of service, willing to serve. Is that your attitude going into a situation? Is it your worldview? Is this how you see life? You see yourself here to serve, or do you see yourself here to be served? I may just might throw this in. That on the flip side of this, there will always be at some point in your life, you will face circumstances where you will be served, not necessarily by your choice, but because you have no other options. In other words, you will become dependent. I think it would be safe to say at some point in your life, for at least a brief period or circumstance, you will be dependent on others to serve you. And it does take a bit of humility of mind even to accept that service. Uh, you know, our, our culture in particular is, you know, this uh, do-it-yourself, you know, um, self-sufficient. Uh, I can manage on my own. But there will come a time when we also need to learn how to graciously allow others to serve us. No man liveth unto himself. And we will come to that place. However, our mindset should center around this thought, I am here to serve. I am not here to just receive service. I am not looking for an elevated position. I am here to serve. And that all begins in the mind. Romans 12, 16. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. My, how much the topic of humility, the topic of relationships, and this topic of becoming a servant. You see how they all blend together and, and relate to each other? Be of the same mind one toward another. So where do we serve? Well, there's a lot of places to serve. But let's just talk about a few practical ones. Let's start with the home. In the home is where we learn to serve. If we want to, uh, to be instructed. And I trust your parents have been teaching you to serve. It is the best and the first place, um, I believe, that God has for us to learn how to serve. There's a lot of work required in a maintenance of a home for things to go orderly. And in your early life, when you were helpless, you were served. 
Not necessarily for a position of honor, but because you couldn't help yourself. You received a lot of service. And now, in turn, you are in an age where you can learn to serve and to help. One scarcely knows where to begin in suggesting areas where you can serve in your home. But, as I mentioned before, it begins in the mind. It begins with an attitude. It begins with you looking for places to serve. How can I help you? Um, and I, I know it's, and it's, there's a lot of variation in different homes, but, you know, when it comes to uh, even such a simple thing as being served at the table, you know, there's, there's something... Uh, something missing from the table. Maybe it's a salt shaker, maybe it's the uh, ketchup or the whatever. Maybe somebody didn't get a spoon for the serving dish and, well, you go get it. I don't feel like getting it. You know how those things go. Are you the one who's quick to jump up and say, oh, I'll get it. Now, as parents, we can set an example, and I'm talking to those in the back of the room, I guess. But there's also a place for parents to teach their young children and using those moments to uh, instruct them on how it should be done, too. So if you're in that place, then receive it with joy. And also take the opportunity to show yourself forward to serve. Sure, I'll get it. When it's time to do the dishes. Well, dishes always have to be done. Do you do it with a ready mind? Oh, it's, it's not my turn. It's your turn. When it comes to uh, all the other chores around home, be it laundry, be it sweeping the floors and taking out the trash and uh, making your bed and cleaning up after yourself and all those things, are you here to serve or to be served? You just continually check yourself as you go through life. What, what am I here for? To serve or to be served? In the church. Moving on now to the church. And I know there's a few of you that perhaps don't have much of a church. Maybe you're just a small house church or something. And But I know that uh, the majority of you do have a fellowship, um, uh, even from a few families to a larger congregation, and there are many opportunities for you to serve. I know <clears throat> this may apply particularly to the young men, but a number of years ago, when I was responsible to ask uh, for different brothers to serve, perhaps in speaking or sharing, 
uh, be it Sunday or Wednesday night or something. It was interesting to me to observe, and I, I don't know if I ever told the brothers this, but I found it a blessing for the brothers, and there was a few, that I could always count on. If I asked them to serve, they would say, yes, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. There was a few that I could almost count on to say, I don't think it'll suit me too well. Now, if you were in a position of responsibility, which response would you like to hear? Well, not much question. You, you want someone who's willing to help. You want someone who's, who's ready to go for it. And yes, I know there can be, there can be strivings and, you know, maybe we'd say the brother who's quick to say yes, maybe he's looking for some honor or something. No, not really. I mean, if you think of it rightly, uh, it's, it's a work, it's a labor. If you're asked to share something, it requires preparation and time. And there needs to be just a willing and a ready mind. You know, when God looks at a, at a giver, someone who is giving, is he looking for someone who has much or little? Well, if you know the scriptures, you realize it's neither one. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for a ready mind. And he'll use even what little... In Proverbs it says, or is it in Psalms, that uh, a little that a righteous man hath is more than the treasures of many wicked or something. I might have been missing a word there or so too, but it's, the idea is there that in righteousness a very little is worth more to God than great uh, riches in the hands of the wicked. And so God isn't looking so much for a huge, um, a huge amount, whether you have much or little. If you can contribute a little, God is looking for a ready mind. For you sisters, do you realize the tremendous place that you have in the church of God to serve? You know, at the beginning I gave several... Uh, References there, Paul commended Phoebe as the one who was, what does it say, a servant of the church, which is at Sencria. And it doesn't give a lot of details as to what she did, but she was recognized as a servant. And I find that throughout the scriptures, when you look at what, uh, what the role of sisters is in the, in the fellowship of the congregation, that is a place of honor, and most often the reference is to some kind of service, doing something for the benefit of the body, whether it be ministering to the needy or whether it be helping those who are in leadership. For example, Paul had people that assisted him in the work, and that included this Phoebe. She hath been a sucker of many and of myself also. 
And there are other references to sisters that assisted him in the work. When he traveled from place to place, they ministered to him in, I think, as I understand it, from with food, maybe some helps, domestic helps. And the record of sisters in the church and how they benefit the whole body is, is tremendous. And it's most generally in the area of service. They're not getting up and teaching. They're not doing the preaching. They're to keep silence. But they have a tremendous ministry in the body of Christ in service. Jesus went about teaching and preaching in all the villages. And there were certain women that followed with him and ministered unto him. Isn't that amazing? They were assisting in the work. We have sisters among us here. Some of them serve in the kitchen. And I was thinking about the service of those who are in the kitchen and how they contribute to Bible school. If we made fasting a requirement to participate in this Bible school, we will serve no food. We will fast for one week. How many of you would come? Well, I know some of you would. I'm not sure that all of you would. I would think twice myself about how this might go. So they really do serve a valuable function, don't they, in making this whole thing work? Well, find your place of service in the church in that way. You can serve. You can help. You, you first of all, have a, a mind to work. And I know that many of you do. God bless you for it. Wouldn't it make brothers' meetings go so good if we come to brothers' meeting with the mindset that I'm here to serve my brothers? I'm here to make things easy. Uh, I'm here to. I'm here to help. I'm here to put my shoulder to the work. I'm here as a servant. Do you have anything for me to do? But too often, maybe we come with an attitude. Oh, well, I I think it ought to go my way. I. This is how it has to be. You know, let's just uh, check our hearts. Do we come to a brother's meeting uh, looking for the position of the server or the position of the served? And then beyond the church, there are places to serve abroad. And that might be as close as your next door neighbor or it may be across the seas. But just like it is in the church, it's such a blessing to see someone who is willing to serve and is quick to serve. And if you ask them for something, they will, they will try to do it quickly and readily. Well, so there is a testimony that can go abroad to your neighbors and to wherever you go that you're here to help, you're here to serve. 
So what testimony do you want to leave? I had to think of a um, one of my clients, someone we did work for, a man who is fairly well-to-do. He had a very nice house, and, and in the course of my work, I had an opportunity to sit down, and, and he actually served me lunch. It seemed to be a joy for him, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. But in the conversation, uh, he had taken note that we have a family business, and that seemed to, he was so blessed by that, and uh, because he valued family highly. Uh, incidentally, he was from a different culture, has been in America for many years, but he just made note that in the culture he came from, family was much more highly valued than it is in America. And then he said this, he said, I have a lot of friends. If I had a party, I'd have 200 people just like that to come over to my house for a party. But he said, if I was in trouble, I'm not sure that I'd find even two that would come to help me. Wow. Just make sure you're one of those two that would be there when somebody needs help. There is so much to do abroad, but, and, and there's, I could, I could list many places and needs, you know them, you've been to some of them, uh, but I'd like to just remind us of this, that going to a faraway place and, and crossing the sea doesn't make you a servant. A servant begins right here at home. That's where it's developed. And that's our topic for this morning is becoming a servant. And I remember in my youth I read some books and, and in one book it gave different accounts. I don't remember the name of the book or even the story in its totality. But one part of one story, the central theme of it was this phrase. What I am to be... I am now becoming. And that has stuck with me all these years and reminded me what I am to be, I am now becoming. Which means that if I want to be a servant, I need to cultivate that. I need to be working on that. If I want to memorize scripture, don't think of some faraway time when I'm really going to give it everything and, and, uh, and I'm going to learn a huge passage. Just, just start today. If you want a position of honor and you think you're, you want to take a position that's going to serve many, many people, well, start with your little brother. You know, it's just a practical, um, practical reality. Because Serving a thousand people means dying to self. Serving my little brother means the same thing. And I can practice here. You know? And that's really central to this whole thing is dying to self. Being willing to just lay myself on the altar to be used. When it comes to 
finding someone who is qualified to go across the sea or to the next state or to some distant place. If you were looking for someone to do a job for you, would you seek one who just is idle or one who is busy? Would you seek one with experience or one who is inexperienced? Would you seek for one who has a willing mind to work or the one who would rather play? In all of these, you know the answer. We would seek for the one who seemed most qualified, the one who could we could expect to get the job done. And we would say, I'll look for one who is busy. I'll look for one who is applying themselves. I'll look for one who has experience. You know, as we think through life and, and our relationships, there are people in our life who have a greater measure of this than others. Okay? We don't necessarily need to compare ourselves. But just think about the people in your life, some of them who give themselves in service. And you also know people in life who seem to just be focused inward. They look at themselves. They might even complain about their lot in life. They might, uh, it seems like in any relationship setting, they're just sucking the oxygen out of it. You know, they just, they just want to live for themselves. And, and it's about me and how you treated me and, and why don't I get the favor that this person over here did. And, and which of those do you want to be? You know, is, is your heart just going to be the servant? And if it is, that means you're going to be dying to self. Let's just reflect back on our text passages there. When it came to this question about service and who has a position, Jesus took them back to the cross. Even though that was future yet at his, at his point, but he said, he asked them the question, are you able to drink the cup that I drink of? And we know that he made that conditional as his servants. We would need to take up our cross daily and follow him. It is so central to this whole thing of, of service. Becoming a servant, we die to ourselves that we might live for him. Well, I know it's a bit early, but that is... Uh, all that I have here on this point, we'll have a little extra time, I guess, for the, uh, for the study time, and we can speak about some practical application for, for your life. I'll turn it over to uh, Randall.